Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If your DM's that desperate for a conversation, talk to them. Don't be that mean. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. I'm Tully Grimley and with me in the studio... Lachlan Hoy is my name on some documents. Wink. And uh, not with us today is uh, Danae Baggs. She will not be present for this episode, but she will be back next week. Yeah, she's sick, unfortunately. So we're just going to power through. We're going to power on through. Now... What we wanted to do, and we're going to be introducing this at the beginning of each episode, just because it is quite important. The The place where we're recording here uh, is the Mianjin land of the Turrbal and Yagoro people of, of Australia. Um, they were uh, the traditional custodians of the land, and sovereignty was never ceded. These lands have always been places of learning and storytelling, and um, we would like to continue that tradition here. If there is anyone from those uh, communities that would like to be part of this conversation, we'd love to have them on. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. And we especially want to pay our respect to the elders of this land, both past, present and future. Exactly. That being said, what are we doing today? Today, we're just fucking complaining. Because you know what? D&D sucks, dude. <laughs> I'm sick of it. Honestly, I'm sick of it. So, um, as, as Lachlan's very, very nicely put it, uh, today we're doing a couple of our gripes, a couple of things that we don't think quite work and that we want to change around. Yeah. Because honestly, there's a surprising number. You play enough D&D and you realise that like, as much as it is a fantastic system that creates a whole world of possibilities, it also creates a whole world of possible bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a couple of specific things that we want to touch on today. If you've got some gripes of your own, we would love to hear from you and um, send them through. This most certainly will not be the last episode of gripes that we do. Oh, definitely not. Most certainly we're going to be approaching some more and uh, probably some of these in depth a little more as well. Yeah, maybe we should do some episodes where we like actually research some of these specific things that we're talking about. I know our last gripe for today is definitely going to feature in another episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So one that I was just kind of having a look at recently mm-hmm. is the Wild Magic system. This is pretty new. to um, It's D&D 5e. It's the first time, or not the first time, but it's the... Is the reintroduction of this system. Actually, I think this is... The 5e system varies the reintroduction from 4e, if I recall correctly. I actually couldn't find anything from 4e, but that being said, I never played 4e. Yeah, I couldn't find the details of what Wild Magic was like in 4e, um, beyond it was quite similar. I think it was the same as Wild Magic, except it more varied based on, like, the grid. Um... 
Okay. I don't know how well that relates to the original, like, second E. Oh, the 2E system, the Wild Magic table itself is most, it's fairly similar in its design, but the, um, the actual system is, I'm going to be frank with you, pretty dumb. <laughs> it, it actually seems to, the higher level you get, the more likely you are to screw up um, or to get a bane based on your roll, but you're also more likely to get a boon. Okay. But every level you change, the number that you have to roll to get a wild magic surge changes. Not for any reason, just completely arbitrarily. For example, I'm going to read out the numbers that you have to roll to get a wild magic surge in levels 1 through 5. Oh boy, okay. 20. Mm-hmm. 13. 12. 19. Eight. I feel like I'm calling bingo here. There's actually no pattern. Yeah, it's completely arbitrary. And you can see in the... Because Tolly was showing me uh, off mic earlier the table from the second E version. And it's just absurd just looking at it. It's just like a random just like box full of numbers with random ones bolded. And it's like, okay, that's the one that's your wild magic. But it's not even... It's just so confusing the way it's laid out. Um, but essentially, for those of you who... I would assume most of you are fairly fluent with your D&D, but for those of you who aren't, as far as wild magic surges go, if you have, choose Sorcerer as, mm-hmm. your, as your class, and you choose, instead of having a Draconic Bloodline, you choose to be a Wild Sorcerer, which means you get your magic from the world around you. Just kind of inherent magical ability. Yeah. Um, basically, this is the magic of chaos, or... This is chaos magic. Yeah, I think the flavor in, and I'm pretty sure they've dropped a lot of the talk of the weave as a concept. Mm, um, they don't talk much about it anymore. Yeah, beyond like a, a little bit of flavor text. But I believe the original idea was it was people who had gotten uh, the raw, gotten raw magic. Instead you of might have endured exposure to some form of raw magic, perhaps through a planar portal leading to limbo, the elemental planes, or the mysterious far realm. Or perhaps you were blessed by a powerful fey creature or marked by a demon. All your magic could be a fluke of your birth with no apparent cause or reason. Basically, something happened. You don't even necessarily know, have to know what it is. In but, fact, you probably won't. But you are just inherently magic now. You're just, uh, just a powerful fella for absolutely no reason, which is fun. Which is fun. If but, the um, table doesn't suck big old butts. So, essentially what happens is when you choose this sort of, this character class, when you start, uh, when, when you cast a spell of first level or higher, so anything you need to expend a spell slot for, essentially. Um, although, I think I, you don't necessarily have to expend a spell slot. You just have to cast a spell that's not a cantrip. But that would be inherently spending a spell slot, though, right? You can spend sorcery points, uh, and if you multiclass into wizard, you could pr- you could argue that it still happens when you use your um, your spell slinger. Uh, the ones that you get, the level one and two spells, you can do for free. Oh, okay, yeah, there, okay, that would make sense. There are some situations in which you could theoretically not expend spell slots and still activate the wild magic table. Oh, see, all I was thinking of was rituals, which you just do. So I mean, you probably wouldn't be rolling for most of those. I would say you would if they're level if they're level one or higher, and that, well, there are no ritual cantrips. So yeah, yeah. But why don't we take a step back for a moment, Tully? In fifth edition, how do you actually use the wild magic table? Every time that you cast a spell 
of level one or higher, you roll a d20. Mm-hmm. If you get a 20 on that d20, you then roll a d100 and compare that result to the wild magic table. That effect happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the basis of it. So basically, every time you cast a spell, there's a one in 20 chance that something happens. That something crazy happens. Oh, that's right. Sorry. It doesn't automatically happen when you cast a spell. The DM tells you to roll for wild magic. Wait, do you not roll for wild magic by default? No. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The DM can have you roll a d20. And then Tides of Chaos is starting at, starting at first level. You manip- manipulate the source of chance to gain advantage on an attack roll or ability check or saving throw. When you do this, you need to finish a long rest to get it back. So basically, you can give yourself advantage for free. And that's one per long rest. But you get it back when the DM makes you roll wild magic. Oh. So that inherently implies that you're not always rolling wild magic. When the fuck would you roll wild magic then? It's entirely at the DM's discretion. And the fact that it gives you back your Tides of Chaos, I would say, implies that it doesn't want you to be using it constantly. Yeah. So when the fuck would you use it? When as a DM would I be like, okay, time to roll. Yeah, you see, basically what I'm getting from this is that essentially my, this is my gripe with it, right? And perhaps this is because I've never played as a sorcerer and as such I don't know the pain of a wild magic roll going wrong. But what I'm reading from this is that every time you cast a spell, which is let's have a look at how many spell slots you've got as a sorcerer. Well, let's say we're level 10, right? Sure. Level 10 is a pretty safe starting point. You have 14 spell slots and 10 sorcery. No, and 6 sorcery points. Okay. Sorry, 11 sorcery points. Which means, theoretically, you could get an extra 5 spells. So you can cast up to 19 spells a day. And when in those would you be rolling wild magic, do you reckon? Well, as the rules would have you say, only occasionally. So let's just assume... As a DM, you're rolling. You're getting them to roll in the, to roll for the wild magic every time they cast a spell. If they are using every possible spell they can use, and that is expending all their sorcery points on first level spells, then you are going to end up with a with pretty flush chances of rolling on the of rolling a one once that day. That's true. That's true. That's almost almost exactly yeah. So basically. Odds are, if you are casting spells constantly and the DM gets you to roll every time, then you'll have on average one wild magic surge a day. That is if we maximize the odds, though. So, here comes my gripe with wild magic. And again, maybe because I haven't played as a sorcerer, so I don't know the pain of this going wrong, but odds are, if you have that happen, and let's say you roll the results... Here's one. If you die within the next minute, you immediately come back to life as if by the reincarnate spell. Oh my god. But to get that, it's a 1 in 50 chance on the wild magic surge table mm-hmm. and a 1 in 20 ch- uh, chance on the ra- wild magic on the wild magic roll that you will even get to the table. So that's a 1 in 1000 chance that that will happen when you cast a spell. What are the odds within the next minute you're going to die? That's true. Not much happens there. Cuz 
then I guess you could save it for when the DM is like, this is a really important encounter. But then you'd just be guaranteeing that every time you used a high-level spell, you'd roll wild magic. And that stops becoming wild. There's no unpredictability there. The exactly. point of it is you can't know when it's happening. So, and then there's stuff like um, a random creature within, within 60 feet of you becomes poisoned for 1d4 hours. Uh, your skin turns blue and can only be turned back with a remove curse spell. Um, I did read a, um, I was reading a Reddit post earlier that said that where someone was saying that they turned blue using the wild magic table and were blue for like five full levels before anyone could do anything about it. And like it got to a point where before they got it fixed, they just posted on Reddit and they were like, guys, I've been blue for so long. What the fuck do I do? (laughs) (laughs) But that's the thing. There's things like um, for the next minute, you must shout when you speak or uh, you can't speak for the next minute. Uh, When you try, pink bubbles float out of your mouth. You cast grease centered on yourself. Just all these effects, yes, they're wild, but for a 1 in 20 chance, if you're optimizing things, an approximate, you're probably going to get it once a day. And that's if the DM's being real hard on you for it. Which the rules seem to suggest that they don't want the DM to be. Yeah. So basically what I'm getting at here in a very roundabout way is I feel like there should be some sort of gradient to it. Yes. There should be, if you are, I, I should. I think there should be different tables or at least modifiers based on what level spell slot you cast. If you cast a ninth level spell, I think you're, you should be more likely to trigger something on the wild magic table. And I think it's probably going to be a bigger effect. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd say, I mean, just off the top of my head, I'd probably put together in that case, say, a wild magic table leading up to every for every four levels, say, just because that's when we do stat increases. Yeah. Um. So that would be a pretty good way of being like, this is when things get noticeably stronger, and then just having them roll. Can I on those? Can I counter that? Mm-hmm. What if so? You this would require a new wild magic table. It would require us to rebuild it to have varying grades of severity. Yeah. But basically have it so that every sort of 10, your first 10 are fairly mild and then your next 10 are a little less a little less mild where you get up to the final sort of your 90 through 100 and it is huge. Big things happen. Remembering there's still only a 1 in 20 chance of getting it if the DM makes you roll on the wild magic, t- uh, wild magic table. Try rolling 1d10 per spell level that you've used. So if you've rolled a third level spell, you roll 3d10. Whatever that result, you get on the wild magic table. Oh, okay. Okay. I see what you mean. And then I would propose in that case, we make it more common. So instead of 1d20 on a 20, you get it. Maybe have it stack. So if you've... If every time you roll on the wild magic table, lower the DC by one. So call it a DC 20 roll. If you rolled wild magic, nothing happened. Becomes a DC 19 check, then a DC 18 check. And for every time you've not got wild magic, it's like it's building up. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah, I like that. Because I was going to suggest that we, I would have taken it somewhere probably more like the way Fantasy Flights does their critical injuries in their okay. Star Wars RPG where the D100 starts stacking. But um, that probably actually makes more sense because then the effect is still completely random, Mm. but it just becomes more and more likely. 
each time it comes up. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, the chances, if you're rolling 9d10, the chances of getting a 90 are very, very low. That's a one in what, 9,000? No, sorry, one in one billion chance? I don't think that's true. Of rolling a 90 with 90, 10. So one in 10 by one in 10 by one in 10 by one in 10 by one in 10. So. Is that how statistics work? Yeah, that's how statistics work. So it would just, it, the biggest thing it would do is it would shift the average to five and uh, so if you rolled 9d10, your average is going to be 40, uh, 50, 50 and a half. Your average is going to be between 50 and 51. Because if, if you roll multiple d6s, right? Oh, you, yeah. No, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I'm just thinking, what's the maximum level spell? Uh, Nine. Oh, okay. So that, would, that actually works out kind of perfectly because that means that the average then becomes still lower than like the midpoint. And then your 90... Well, because you wouldn't, you could never roll a hundred. You yeah. could roll a ninety max. So then your ninety would be something earth-shattering, something ridiculous. I would say ninety would be you cast wish, just for free. See, okay. Well, in that case, if you want to make ninety the most serious thing it could be, I would say on a ninety, the DM has to roll, has to count the number of things extant. Um, on the like in your area, mm. um, the like number of creatures that are aware of you currently, and has to roll to randomly assign wish to one of them. <laughs> one creature within sixty feet gets a wish. Any creature, any creature that is aware of the party within sixty feet, one of them randomly gets to immediately cast wish, and that's that's ninety. Okay, okay, that's pretty big. Because that could go really well or really terribly for you. Yeah. And that's very much in the vein of wild magic. So, I don't know. This is something that we'd probably have to workshop a little bit. But essentially, I like the idea of this gradient shifting where you go from... In, on first level, you could only get a wild magic of 1 to 10, right? You could only really have 10 different effects. And then as it continues, it just gets... You could still, theoretically, when you cast a ninth level spell... You could still re- theoretically roll nine, and yeah. theoretically, very little would happen. Um, vines grow out of your fingers. Cool. Yeah. Um, or like your height changes, but if you if the average roll would sit around fifty five, which could be something a little more like uh, one of the effects that we see here. Like um, here we are. Up to three creatures you choose within thirty feet of you take forty ten lightning damage. Or each creature within 30 feet of you becomes invisible for the next minute. Um, stuff like that, where it's not inherently damaging, but it's, it adds a lot of chaos to it. If you're casting a ninth level spell, you're probably going to expect some chaos one in 20 times. I'd say that's fair. Yeah. I would also feel completely reasonable with that. I and mean, I th- it's especially considering their whole deal is that... Um, and I don't know how it's explained in the more recent law, but again, because I was just briefly reading the like 2E stuff, it was saying that the trade-off for wild magic sorcerers is specifically in like consciously allowing that extra element of chaos. Um, so that like realizing, oh, I can't control magic the way a wizard can, but oh boy, can I do some magic. So <laughs> yeah, seems worth it to me is kind of their whole deal so i can see 
I definitely like it getting like more and more severe. The one thing that I would say is I would just want to have some way to make it so that there was still some... Maybe it's like there is one extra really serious thing as you go up to, as you go up through the levels. Okay. So like, for instance, at 90, at like 81 to 90, Mm. nine out of the 10 are just fucking insane. Yeah. Whereas like down at one, only one of them is. So that way you can still have something like Buck Wild happening and you can still kind of grade them by severity as you keep going. So that way stuff can still happen. Let's say from one to 10, if you're casting a first level spell, the worst thing that can happen is you cast web centered on yourself. And then at the 10 through 20, two bad things could happen. It could be um, you cast thunderclap and it's just in front of you. (laughs) <laughs> and then yeah, you cast Thunderclap and um, you instantly take... You, you, oh, let's have a look back at this wild magic table again. Um, you turn into a potted plant until the start of your next turn. Um, something like that. Yeah, whereas you get up to like... You get all the way up to the, to the final turn and we're dealing with like... You cast a fireball centred on yourself. Um, you give a wish to somebody else. Um, a random city goes missing for <laughs> four D one hundred days. Jesus, I four D one hundred is great. Yeah, like a random NPC that the party has met dies instantly. Um, something like a- and remembering, remembering any crazy thing that you do, the DM is still in control of. So, I mean, it goes up to how much you trust you trust your DM, but. If they're doing their job and listening to the narratives their players want to tell, then these things will never feel like they're taking agency from the character. They're just an extra wild magic yeah, thing they, that happens. It should always feel like your DM when you're, is doing stuff like this to add to what's happening, to make it more interesting, not to derail it. If your DM's derailing your campaign, you've got a really shitty DM. Mm. So what I might do is take some of the stuff that we've done here and try and build up for uh, for the day that we release or maybe the day after, just like a little homebrew um, revised wild magic rules and see what you guys think. We'll do up a, a new table uh, and... Yeah, we'll check it on the Instagram, Twitter and the whatnot. We'll put, yeah, like we'll a, put it up on... We'll build it up in homebrewery and give you a link. Yeah, we'll, yeah. Put, it, we'll put it out, see what you guys think. Anyway, so uh, unless you've got anything else to add, I'm pretty happy to call it there for wild magic. I'm happy with... I'm, I feel like we've sufficiently destroyed wild magic as a concept beautiful we'll be back in just a moment wait we're breaking okay cool see you guys and we're back ooh woo uh Tully literally just muted the microphones turned the music up and then turned it back down shh it's been half a second what's (laughs) up we're back guys what up, gang? Um, so what's the next thing on the list, Tully? Because I've completely forgotten. Uh, this was one of your gripes. We're going to talk about monks. Oh, monks. Okay. So let's talk about monks for a G-dang second. <laughs> Have any of you at home played a monk and realised that playing a monk is just three hours of sitting there doing nothing until once you get to punch someone? 
and then you sit there for another three hours? Because you are not alone. Monks are terrible, it turns out, actually. Um, so monks are really fun because they are completely built around the like weird grid system of the old um, Dungeons and Dragons editions. They're totally built around like a maneuvering and like repositioning enemies. Uh, their main abilities, uh, the the main ability that monks use, kind of on the reg, is their like key point punches, mm. which basically just give them like some magical ability when they punch something. But yeah. it's like you push them away, or you knock them over, or you... You stun them, or you... Yeah. Um, and the pretty shitty thing is, you still just have shitty 1d4, you know? Uh, you, it adds your martial arts die. Like, uh, your, your punches become martial arts die from memory. Um, so, by, by level 5, you're on a d6... By level 11, you're on a D8. And by 17, you're on a D10. Okay. Well, still, still, by level 17, your best attack is doing the same amount of damage that your level 1 paladin did with their sword. Yeah. See, this is where I I have not yet played a monk. Um, I posed the idea of playing a monk at Lachlan's table. And, I and said, Lachlan said to me, hey, you can do it, but seriously reconsider. Because it's not fun. Like, okay, monks seem, if you're looking through their thing, like they get really cool, right? Because it's like at 18th level, you can use key points to astral project. But at 6th level, a wizard can use one spell slot and blink in and out of the astral plane mm. dozens of times. Yeah. So essentially the what it all boils down to, and we've we've had a lot of back and forth, and I went from defending monks to hating monks to being in the middle ground to defending them again to I've I've flip flopped so much on this issue. But what's really done it for me is um I I'm, I've mentioned it a couple of times. I I've been watching Critical Role and um in the, the current campaign um, Marisha Ray plays uh, Bo, who is a monk of Matt Mercer's homebrew subclass, the the Cobalt Soul. Okay. And I really enjoy some of their elements in that it's built into the class that they are made to be investigators. They are spies and researchers, and that's their deal. So they get proficiency in investigation. Um, they get really good at... Uh, they've got a... I'm not sure if it's actually in the base class, but they've got something called the extract aspects, which is they can spend a key point to... Uh, yeah, if they do a flurry of blows, they can find out the damage resistances and um, and weaknesses that the, the enemy has. They find out a couple of different things about it, which is really cool. But you find in these things, she deals a lot of damage and then her role-playing outside of combat is all Marisha. Like, very good role-player. But yeah. it's it's all on her back. It's none of the abilities, whereas everybody else is using their abilities in everyday stuff. Yeah, there is nothing that a monk can, like, reasonably do outside of... I mean, unless you go with the way of the four elements, but then mm. you're just being a monk... You just want to be a spellcaster. Yeah. Like, just be a spellcaster. That's the way of the four elements, but way better. And... Like, the way of the open hand, for instance, quivering palm seems really cool. But 
Like, yeah. Well, like, let's let's even take Way of the Drunken Master, which is from Xanathar's Guide. Sure. Um, it looks really cool, and I would love to roleplay it. But looking at it realistically, there's enough in there to maybe warrant a little more than a, than a fighting style that a fighter could take, but not really. Yeah, honestly, I would leave pretty much everything the monk has for feats. Mm. That's the only thing I would do with anything from the monk. Like, even the monk's, like, strongest abilities. Like, like I was saying, um, Quivering Palm, 17th level, you spend three key points to start a up to 17 days long, like, vibrations in a creature, which you can end and make them, if they fail a constitution saving throw, die or take 10d10 necrotic damage, which seems really cool until you realize, like, the strength of spells and abilities and stuff of other classes at half the level are just as good. Mm. Yeah, so essentially what happens is you end up making a ton of rolls. Um, you get really good... Monks, for example, are one of the, the arguments against critical failures and critical fumbles in D&D is your fighters and your monks will be rolling more, they'll be rolling more natural ones, so you don't want them stabbing themselves whenever they roll a natural one. It's dumb. But, um, yeah, your monks will end up rolling for... They'll do a lot of stuns. They'll do a lot of frontline damage. But that's about all they do. But that's kind of the thing, and that's the thing that really bothers me about monks as well, is you'll find that a lot of the time... Because monks aren't especially strong either. They're not, like, very resilient characters. Um, Because they're supposed to be able to step... Because they're supposed to be stepping in and out of combat all the time. Yeah. But But because you can only really move in or move out in any given turn, and do an action. Yeah, then you, you, you can't... Fun- if you use your bonus action to do a step of the wind, you can't use your bonus action to flurry at blows, which means you're making one attack in the turn. Mm-hmm. And then you're just stuck in the exact same position as everyone else, stuck right up in melee range, risking making risking an attack of opportunity against you if you tried to do anything other than use your key points to escape. And then you just get brutalized. And so to, to summarise that last bit as well, among all of the other things that have gone wrong. As a monk, you now have to be really good. You have to have a high dex. Um, you have to have to have a high dexterity because you need to get in and out. Mm-hmm. You need to have a high wisdom because any monk abilities rely on wisdom. Um, I believe you can use dex for your modifier in unarmed strikes, which helps. Yes, you can. Um, but you, you can also have to have a, a high... A high constitution because you mm-hmm. need to survive while you're up there because your hit dice is a d8. Yeah. Um, so essentially what happens is you then need to have three high stats and you're still not doing much out of combat. I started my first monk, which I played for about a year and a half, um, maybe a little bit less, and I think I started with 11 HP um, and ended up being... So, like, my HP being so much lower than anything, anyone in our party and anyone else we encountered. Like, my HP was as bad as our wizard. Um, so and that's just poor rolling. It's, yeah, well, that didn't help either. Um, but but it yeah. just, it felt like all I did for a full year at least playing this campaign was sit there in roleplay and be like, I am not, I'm peaceful. Or... Be like, fuck being a monk, I'm going to go do some rowdy shit and have some fun, which just didn't fit with the monk at all. 
And then in combat, all I was doing was saving all my key points so I could punch people away from me because if anything got anywhere near me even once ever or I engaged with an enemy at all, I would immediately die. Yeah. So, with that in mind, how would you fix the monk? I would get rid of the monk entirely. I would completely scrap the monk. I would make it so that some of its abilities, some of its cooler abilities, um, like some of the key stuff, would either be a fighting style or a feat that stacked. Okay. Or like literally anything else. I would take the anything over the monk. See, that I know it, it sounded like a trail off because that was the end of my sentence. I could anything. see. I could see if they brought in psionics that this could be the monk could be a subclass of whatever that is. But then, see, as soon as they bring in psionics, psionics are way, are way more powerful than monk abilities are anyway, because psionics start bringing in, like, kind of innate, like, psychic magics a lot of the time because of D&Ds. I don't know if, if psionics is uh, intrinsically linked. See, I haven't actually read any of the psionics um, homebrews that have come out, or you, Unearthed Arcanas. Ah, see, I read the Unearthed Arcana, and it's just like... It's just, you know... Mind flayers, yeah, yeah. It's just mind flayers, but like less interesting because okay. they can't do because the th- they can't do any of the like mind controlly things with it. Yeah. See, I think the way of the Kensei gets close to the tonal style that I would like for the monk. Um, I don't know that one. Uh, it's from again from Xanathar's. Okay. Um, and basically, it's it's kind of they're trying not to say ninja, but it's a ninja. That's see. But that's my thing. Anything that makes the monk more interesting just makes them not a monk. Yeah, exactly. Um, So the idea essentially I I think that they're going for is wise and powerful with unarmed strikes. What they end up doing is powerful with unarmed strikes and you have to pretend to be wise. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And... That's fundamentally... I think if you were in a really role-play-heavy group, like, for example, Critical Role, I don't feel like you would feel it quite as much. And uh, they don't. Um, but it's still evident. Yeah, Because exactly. they're only using their abilities in combat. There's no way to ignore the fact that when you're playing a monk, you're either playing a character that is designed to be less interesting in role-play, or... You're not playing your character. You're just being you because you're bored. Those are your only options. It's so boring. Anyway, I think we've we've done a lot of talking on the monk and then not fixing it. So if you've got an idea for how to fix the monk, we would really love to hear it. Um, I would love to find something to give to Lachlan that makes them go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's reasonable. Um, that would be great. Oh, yeah, try me. If you can come up with a way to fix a monk, then... Go for it. I Please. really send it to us and then to wizards. I really, really wanted to try with this episode, dude. But the more I look through the monk, the more I'm just like, it just seems so unsalvageable. <laughs> <laughs> so next time we do a gripes, I'm going to try and come up with a monk that works. Um, but like what we'll do... 18th level, you become invisible for one minute with four key points. First of all, that's so many key points. That's a, what, a second level spell? Yeah, that sucks so bad. Oh my God, just you wait. Tongue of, Tongue of the Sun and Moon, 13th level ability you get, right? Yep. It is literally just comprehend languages 
which is a first level spell. A first level ritual spell. Yeah, like uh, comprehend languages. Like, if you don't have a party that can use it's, comprehend languages at will, then you- as a second level warlock, you get that as a, you can potentially get that as a one of your um, eldritch something. It's called uh, eyes of the runekeeper. Um, and you can get it just as an invocation. Honestly, a wizard with a little bit of money could just go and buy it from a library. Oh, like as in, if, as a, se- a second level warlock can just select that and never not be able to read something. But like, not even as an ability is what I'm saying. It's, it's Understanding things is so easy that any magic user can spend a little bit of money getting that spell. Yeah. Anyway, so that's monks. Um We'll be right back and uh, we'll have a little bit of a chat about another topic that I will remember while I play this music. Ooh-woo. See you in another three and a half seconds, guys. And we're back again. I'm feeling refreshed. I've had a glass of water. I got up and stretched. Um... I'm lying. I just played the music. Um, yeah, the amount of time that it took for you guys. In fact, last time it seemed like it was maybe some room for Tully. To, this time, he literally just slid the volume up and slid it back <laughs> down. Like you can't even edit more of the song into there. No, I really can't. Um, <laughs> so, what I'm looking at here, this is a gripe that I discovered when we were researching for an upcoming episode, um, and it's one that I really felt was missing. Quite a lot of nuance. Oh, yeah. This one's fun. So, to give you a, um, a background, I was looking at the madness tables. And what I was looking at was madness caused by illness, right? So, mm-hmm. if you've had um, something like rabies or a prion disease or something like that, um, you know, how that would affect you. And I looked at the... Madness tables, and I went, okay, short-term madness. The character retreats into their mind and becomes paralysed, uh, ends if they take damage. They become, begin babbling and are incapable of normal speech or spell casting for, you know, 1d10 minutes. Um, they have, they, they are stunned, they fall unconscious. Uh, There's one way you just get pica. You just get pica. Yeah, you start eating dirt. You just, but, and it's only for like two minutes as well. So all of a sudden you just like sit on the floor and you just, pick up some shit off the ground and put it in your mouth. And then later you're just like, hey guys, that was weird, huh? It it lasts for 1d10 minutes, right? That's short-term madness. They're all pretty normal. Like if you have an effect that's lasting under 10 minutes, those sort of compulsions, things like being stunned or frightened, they're starting babbling, they make sense. Yeah. So then I had a look at the long-term madness. Now, their idea of long-term is a little bit short-term. It's 1d10 days, no, like, no, it's not. Long term is one d ten. Sorry, one d ten times ten hours. hours. So it can go anywhere up to four days. That's not. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, anywhere up to just over four days. So, really, again, that's not a huge thing. Like, four days is not long term madness. I would call that medium term at best. Yeah, honestly, if. And I guess my biggest concern with this is that the party would, if you got one of the bad ones with this and they had like two days to wait it out, that they'd just go wait it, wait out. it out somewhere. They'd just be like, oh, we stay in the inn for two days. I'm like, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Um, Burn the inn down, I guess. 
Uh, but there's like the the long term madness table again. I don't mind the things on it too much. They become attached to a lucky charm, like a person or an object, um, and you get disadvantage on rolls when you're further than thirty feet from it. Um, there is a chance. There is about a ten percent chance that you become blinded or deafened. That's pretty neat. You can also forget everything for yep. a little while. Um, you know, par- yeah, partial amnesia. Uh, you can lose the ability to speak. You can just fall unconscious. Um, but again, given that there are spells that do it, um, calm emotions will suppress the effects, and lesser restoration will cure it. Sorry, lesser restoration can cure you of short-term or long-term madness. Um, then we get to indefinite madness. Now here, what I was thinking was, these are irreparable changes that are caused by something like... This, this is the sort of stuff that happens when you get stuck in the plane of pandemonium, right? Yeah. That's not pleasant stuff. This is like something so bad has happened to your character. You've looked that, into the void. Yeah, something has fundamentally like changed in their psyche that will never change back. Um. And I'm just going to read all of them to you. And I say changed because you'll hear these and it's literally just something has changed. Yeah. So I, I will read it to you and then we'll, we'll run through why this did not sit well. Being drunk keeps me sane. I keep whatever I find. I try to become more like someone else I, I know, adopting their style of dress, mannerisms and even name. I must bend the truth, exaggerate, or outright lie. Achieving my goal is the only thing of interest to me. I find it hard to care about anything that goes on around me. I don't like the way people judge me. I am the smartest, wisest, strongest, fastest, and most beautiful person I know. I'm convinced powerful enemies are hunting me and their agents are everywhere. There's only one person I can trust and only I can see them. I can't take anything serious. The more serious the situation, the funnier I find it. And I've discovered I really like killing people. Yeah, so it's like you're going through this list and the first few are just regular character flaws which your character should already have and should come up naturally through roleplay. Or the last few where it's like 71 to 80, I think powerful enemies are hunting me, which... They probably are, so that probably realistically isn't going to make that much of a difference. Yeah. Essentially, like, there are some of these that I think you could work into long-term madness. Like, I'm convinced there are powerful enemies are hunting me, their agents are everywhere, I'm sure they're watching me all the time. You can play that as intense paranoia, and that is a sign of, of psychosis, of madness. Yeah. That is one that I don't mind. Um, there is irreparable narcissism that's mm. yeah. yeah that one feels a little bit more dubious and then even i've discovered that i really like killing people if you weren't in a combat focused system i would allow that yeah but given how central combat is it's one of the three pillars of this game yeah all that is doing is your dm begging you to become a murder hobo like right away yeah exactly and I don't think, A, we should be encouraging that sort of gameplay. It's just not fun for anyone. I, I would veto that long-term madness, that indefinite madness on anyone except my most trusted players. Honestly, wouldn't do it. Absolutely would not do it. There is, I think I could conceive of a situation where I was playing a modified campaign with one player mm. that was all about like their isolation 
Um, and in that case, I would allow it because it would build on that. That is the only situation where I would ever allow, where I would ever, ever hand a hand a player a thing that just said indiscriminately murder people now. Yeah, and see, absolutely that's, not. That's the thing. The other things are things like I'm a bit apathetic. Um, I am an alcoholic now. I'm a kleptomaniac. Um, I pretend to be someone else. I feel like those things need to either be reworked or replaced uh, in the long-term madness scale because as a form of long-term madness, that's... And I believe from what I read here, um, greater restoration... Greater restoration can get rid of indefinite madness. So the fact that there is actually a spell that can get rid of this makes me think it needs to be something, A, more prevalent and more... Something that is more of a call to action to role-play it properly. Yeah, because, I mean, I'm looking at Greater Restoration. That's a fifth-level spell that costs 100 GP. Yeah, so if you if your characters are too far from level 10 to, to wait that out, and you've or you've got no casters, God forbid... Um, then you can find a temple. Like, you can make it a quest to go to a temple and buy the spell. It's not that hard to do. As And as a GM, you should be making those things possible. Yeah, and who's going to spend 100 gold to make it so their character doesn't pick things up they find? Like, your character's already picking up all the cool things they find anyway. Yeah, it's just going to mean they're stealing a little more stuff while they're in taverns. Like, it's not that big a deal. Yeah. Um. I mean, that's most players anyway. So, I don't know about what you were looking at. I know you were checking out some stuff, but I know I had a look at some medical uh, organizations and the signs, symptoms of a psychotic episode. Yeah, I was was mostly just looking at kind of like the breakdown of what what a delusion actually is. Not like the physical symptoms of it, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I had a look at some of the, the symptoms themselves. So why don't you start this off and then I can go into some of the things that I reckon we could work into the madness table. Yeah, okay. So one of the bigger things with this table, especially with the end of the table, is there's not a lot of stuff that would actually be associated with really any kind of like... Like none of, none of this smacks of long-term indefinite madness. And I think one of the big reasons for that is there's like a few types of thinking in this realm. I was reading a um a article on the NCBI website. Yeah. Um just a big a big article about uh what like delusion is. Um because specifically because uh, delusions are the most like when we talk about madness, we're talking about someone who sees or thinks or understands things in a way that doesn't make sense due to mental illness, which yeah. is you're looking at people with some kind of like delusional and forms of thinking. Specifically, we're looking at things that that cause active problems within societal norms, right? Because yeah. if you have a different way of thinking, but it doesn't clash with societal norms, it doesn't get classed as madness. Yeah, because... Yeah, that, that's the big thing. It has to be disordered thinking as well. It has mm. to be something that actually causes a detriment to your life. Because, I mean, there are people out there who have what would by, if you went through, like, every other symptom in the DSM, have literally a multiple, a multiple personality disorder, but just 
are fine with it. So it's not a disorder. And so it's fine. Yeah. Because they, yeah, they hear things, but then they have like people that they talk to, but they're just chatting. Yeah. Um, and so it immediately becomes not a disorder. And so much of this is like, none of this would actually. There is very really little on the indefinite madness table here that would be a, a disorder. Yeah, and there's nothing here that you would look at and be like, well, that person is mad. Because it's all just like you're... Uh, 81 to 85. Maybe 81 to 85. Yeah, But even then, really, would you? Because that's just saying all... I, I can imagine that all a party would do with that is whenever they have some downtime, they would go and whisper to their imaginary friend. Yeah. Like, nobody's going to really do much with that in and a even public then, space. In a world of adventurers that have patrons and gods that they talk to and familiars like talking to yourself is not that weird yeah it's just it's so strange so the way that like delusional thinking and stuff works is basically kind of broad strokes uh, your typical thoughts are based on your reasoned understanding of your experiences right you see something and you think about it and then you're like, that's my primary experience, that's my secondary thought and everything's as it should be. Mm. Then you can have people that have uh, delusion-like thinking um, is the phrase that's used here, which is where you perceive reality properly mm. but you like think about it the wrong uh, okay. way. The, like your thought process is incorrect. So it's like a logical kind of... It's a logical process that you go through that happens to be, like, misguided. I And that actually helps put these the next bit that I'll... Uh, the bits that I'll talk about into mm. a lot more context as well. Um, and then you have actual uh, primary delusions, which is where there isn't, like, a proper understanding of what's going on that you then misinterpret. It's where you have this way of thinking that's actually based on an incorrect understanding of the world in front of you. Okay. Like, you actually don't know what's, what's going, going on. on. Yeah. And that's why you're then... Mm. That's why you're then acting in a way that seems strange. So, for instance, the difference between it would be, like, if you have a mistaken idea and a delusional idea, your mistaken idea is just based on you understanding the circumstances you're in wrong, whereas a delusional idea is seeing the circumstances wrong. Uh, a, a good example here is um, a, du- a direct delusion would be like a concrete awareness of something in the room with you that isn't actually there. Like you, you're sitting there and you're like, there is something here. Okay, so if you, if you are hallucinating and you register that as a hallucination, that's not a delusion, it's a hallucination. Whereas if you know it's there, then that's a delusion. Yeah, a true hallucination, as in the words that it puts here, mm. is not a an image in space that is like an illusion. It is a thing that is there. Mm. That thing is there. It's the difference between like, you know, when you're walking back to the house and it's dark out and you feel like there's something behind you. Yeah. And you're like, man, it feels like there's something behind me. And I know there isn't, but it feels like it. It's as if there's something there. It's the difference between that and being like, oh, cool. There's someone behind me right now and they're going to kill me or like feeling a hand on you or something. Yeah. 
um, it's such a more concrete thing. And so much of this is just like somewhat delusional thinking after the fact a little bit, but none of it actually messes with your character's kind of perception in any way, which is so strange because the DM is there and can do whatever and can make any of you see whatever whenever they want. Yeah, and that's the thing about this is you can basically put most of these things in the chart down to, I mean, I guess you're a bit kooky now. Yeah, like you're less fun to be around because you're not as nice to people. Yeah. So essentially what I wanted to look at was the actual... It demonizes mental illness in a really weird way because mental illness is strange and weird and confusing, not just you're shittier now. Yeah, exactly. And so I think drawing on... So what were those, those three different categories that we were talking about before? Yeah, so it's like regular thinking where you just look at things and you think about them and that's fine. And delusion-like thinking, where you look at things but you think about them wrong. And uh, full-on delusion where you actually misunderstand the external reality. Yeah. So, what I think we'll need... We'll stick to the last two because obviously if you're thinking about the world normally, you're not mad. Yeah. Well, that would be a bad... That would be a bad madness table to yeah. be like, uh, when you roll a d10 on this table for 30 minutes... You understand what's happening. <laughs> Until somebody dispels this, you see red as red. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but what I'm looking at here is um, a mental health service talking about psychotic episodes. And mm-hmm. these are not necessarily hard and fast symptoms that, it, that somebody is uh, experiencing an episode, but they are some of the more concrete symptoms. Mm-hmm. They're things like preoccupation with a subject... Um, very fast, muddled, irrational, or hard to understand speech or writing. Uh, so basically, like this podcast. Um, loss of concentration, memory, or attention, like this podcast. Um, sensitivity to light, noise, or other sensory inputs. So basically, like overstimulation. Um, increased anger, aggression, or suspicion. Um, decreased or disturbed sleep. Um, inactivity, hyperactivity. Uh, laughing or crying inappropriately or being unable to do those things, uh, inattention to personal hygiene, um, being unable or to feel or express happiness, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Those are all symptoms. So the way that I would be putting an indefinite madness table is probably things like, well, I mean, decreased or disturbed sleep, right? Mm-hmm. I would say on a, uh, any time you take a long rest... Roll a d20. On a one, you do not sleep. On a roll of under five, you experience a short rest. Anything, okay. anything above that, you have a normal night's sleep. Yeah, yeah, that works. Because then you get a, a level of exhaustion if you roll under a five. Doesn't hugely impact things, or even hell, roll under t- under t- oh, under ten just is asking for you to roll badly for five days and then yeah. die of long term exhaustion. But essentially. Make it that's that's a that's a twenty five percent chance that you'll not sleep. That's pretty bad. Yeah, that's a pretty serious risk when we have such severe uh, consequences for exhaustion in this game, especially after you get more than one level. Because as soon as you start, as soon as you start stacking exhaustion, you're just yeah, you're just screwed. Yeah, you're just asking for trouble. Um, then there's increased sensitivity to light, noise, or other sensory inputs. Well, we already have um, if in the drow, we already have 
sunlight sensitivity as a thing that you can have. Yeah, there's like a mechanic for it. Yeah, so you have sunlight sensitivity. Um, you could have, you know, speech or like speech or writing that's very fast, muddled, or irrational. You can actually just say, uh, put that in the the madness table. Uh, whenever you speak, you now speak in um, mostly incoherent string strings of thought. I mean, it's pretty obvious there what it's asking you to do. Yeah, and yeah, even if a character, even if you as a role player are not managing to get that stream of consciousness out, you will end up stammering and putting out random words and stuff like that. It will be quite disruptive. Yeah, even your attempt to will seem convincing because nobody knows why you're say- why you thought to say that specific thing. All they know is that you're trying to do the thing that your character's doing. Exactly. Um, things like inattention to personal hygiene. You suddenly you can just put in there as an indefinite madness thing. You are no longer aware of your own um, of your own cleanliness. You do not feel the need to bathe, wash your hands. Um, your clothes will begin to smell after a certain amount of time. Yeah, Easy, done. That. And then that's that's something that's hard coded in. I mean, it's pretty easy for that to have consequences. But then you don't need to worry about it being just some sort of superficial, um, you know, I get drunk now or I steal stuff now. It's yeah. very specifically, I don't notice my personal hygiene. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, because it's not like... Because the I steal things now thing implies that all of a sudden, the only thing that's changed is your character's walking around and said, man, you know what? I actually really want to steal that. Huh, weird. Whereas like an equivalent, like actual delusion would be walking into a room and seeing things on the table and not realizing that they don't belong to you. Yeah. And then there's, then for some of the other stuff, I do feel like there need to be hallucinations in the indefinite madness table. Mm. I feel like that's important, but the only hallucination they've got there is it's, it's an imaginary friend. That's what it is. Which is just talking to the DM. Which is just talking to the DM. If your DM's that desperate for a conversation, talk to them. <laughs> Don't be that mean. But what you could say there is there are various different types of hallucinations. Um, hallucinations that you can get. Here are some major uh, hallucinations that you can get. Oh, actually, well, this is, this is a mental health service. This has got a list of hallucinations and a list of delusions. Oh, they, cool. So your hallucinations are auditory, so you hear external, internal or external voices. Um, sometimes they're associated or sometimes they tell you what to do, but you hear something. Um, visual, which means you're seeing stuff, um, shadows, people, um, perceptional, say like, or just abnormalities. So you could be seeing things as very different to what they are. Um, and hell, that could be as, as varied as the wild magic table. That's, that's, yeah. There's a lot of things there. In fact, you could probably even co-op the wild magic table is every time you, you know, do something common, roll a d20, instead of wild magic happening, you perceive wild magic to be happening. Oh, yeah, that'd be a fun one. Yeah, well, that's, that's fairly simple. You perceive that you are now causing wild magic. Yeah. Then there's like tactile where you feel sensations that aren't actually happening. Um, or olfactory, so you can smell things, um, or no longer can. So those are different types of hallucinations that you can bring in. And there are they've got five different categories here of delusions. There's er- erotomatic, 
which is you believe somebody is in love with you or that they're in... Yeah, a person with this type of, type of delusion will believe somebody, usually a famous person, is in love with them. Stalking is not uncommon in these cases. There's grandiose delusions. So they will have an overinflated self, um, sense of self-worth and power. They may believe they have a special type of talent or they made a grand, grand discovery. Mm. So they're trying to get there with, I'm the smartest, wisest, strongest, fastest, most beautiful person I know, but they're not quite there. Because nobody suddenly wakes up in the morning and thinks that. Somebody wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, wow, because of X reason, yeah. I'm blah. Because that's the thing. Well, it's the Jesus Christ delusion. Yeah, everything, everything that, ma- that goes on in someone's head seems to them like it's an understandable thing. It's I mean, a, replace that with, I believe I'm a, I'm a powerful arch, archmage from the, na- the age of Arcanum. If you're a powerful wizard, then that makes it all the f- like all the stranger because you can actually cast high level spells. But if you're not, just the fact that you believe it is a huge del- delusion. Yeah, seriously. Um, then there's delusions of jealousy. So you believe somebody's cheated on you uh, where there's no evidence, or you believe people are trying to um, take things from you. Uh, there's persecution. So you believe someone's spying on you or planning to do you harm. That one actually, I'm I don't mind that there are powerful enemies hunting me, their agents are everywhere. It's just that in the genre, it's likely to be happening anyway. That's the only problem with that. Yeah, it seems tricky to be to expect your party to pick up on someone's secret delusion that there's another shadowy organisation following you when there's Already almost definitely going to be one. Yeah. Um, and then there's somatic delusions where they believe they have a health problem or some sort of complaint. So you could suddenly believe that you have help find, find a disease and you believe you have it. You believe you've contracted blue rot. Um, yeah. Yeah. All sorts of fun things. Um, I mean, fun things. Yeah. I think... Oh, are you looking at this help guide thing? Uh, men- mental, mentalhelp.net. Oh, because I, I found another one that has a really good list. Mm. Um, yeah, this is, this is an American addiction center resource. Mm. Um, for drug-induced psychosis. Yeah. Yeah, see, the only thing that I would suggest maybe is, honestly, at this point, I'd throw the tables out. I'd probably change it more too, um, because I totally get what you're going for. But realistically, like, all of this stuff makes sense to the person. Mm. Everything that's happening makes sense to the person that's doing it. It doesn't seem like it's... Just a random occurrence. Like, even if it's something as minor as you're developing a mild psychosis and have gotten a stutter, it doesn't feel like, oh, weird, I have a stutter now. It's, what the fuck? Why is talking so hard now? Yeah. I think, and here's the thing. I think that there should be a table for it because I believe that helps the people who are unsure of how to proceed with what they're doing. I'm not saying get rid of the table like as a concept. I'm saying if we're going to be completely restructuring, Mm. there are some really easy ways to split it into three tables. So, for instance, uh, you can just go by, like, severity. I mean, most people that experience some form of um, psychosis, I believe uh, it's more common with as, like, an effect of another illness. Um, For instance, uh, in high school, without getting too much into it, my depression did cause some, like, minor psychosis, which Mm. caused, like, disordered speech. Um, I, my, like, the way I was talking would jump between things really 
randomly um, in a way that even with even <laughs> I normally don't. Um, I, I you know you know how this podcast works, right? Just ramp that up by like five or six times. Yeah, seriously. No, it was insane. Um, I would take. 30 seconds to say a single sentence just because I was stuttering so much. I've never stuttered. It just came out of nowhere. Just like one day I woke up and I had a stutter and I had a stutter for three months until I didn't have a stutter anymore. Um, so there are very obvious like kinds of levels of severity of um, symptoms like this. So I would probably have it be something like like speech symptoms and maybe minor like perception symptoms and then as like the first table and then have like more severe symptoms things that are really going to actually like affect your relationships it's like people are going to really notice not just the symptom but that it is a symptom because you know like if you just start speaking weirdly or you're a little bit confused or you're stuttering or whatever people can could a lot more easily just associate it as just being like oh well you just this is a stutter thing, not mm. a, this is a psychosis thing, you know? Um, and then I would just like rank it up and have it be something that's like a little bit more obvious. Um, maybe some more obvious delusions, some uh, maybe delusion-like thinking, um, but in relation to like broader areas of things. Mm. And then have the final table be like big ones, you know? Like you, like full-on primary delusion kind of, you don't know what's going on about X, Y, Z kind of thing. And then have it be, have just all of them be permanent because they would be. If you don't get a thing fixed, it's not going to be fixed. Yeah. Um, and if you want to have your party going off and doing more things in the world, then you could just have it be that it requires different levels of treatment to get rid of each thing. So if something really, really terrible happens to you, it actually feels like something really terrible happens to you. But if someone just casts like a madness spell on you. It doesn't feel like something that made that encounter a little bit harder, maybe, but wait, did that enemy just totally waste a spell slot on me? And becomes like a thing that happens because mm. fucking with your brain and your psychology and your perception is a really big deal. Yeah, and that's it's a big thing about player agency that we'll I hope I hope we'll touch on it later. Probably don't have time this episode, but on on player agency is you, if you give your players control over how they're feeling, but then alter aspects of it, that's a whole lot more interesting than, hey, you do this thing now. Yeah, if you say that whenever you encounter this thing, you have to remember X, right? And then that just like, so whenever you eat food, you have to remember that time you had a dream where all the food you were eating turned into spiders. And it's like... Yeah, that would probably manifest as someone who was weird about eating food. Yeah. But actually, that character's, like, got something going on, you know? It's not just your character is weird whenever yeah. they try to eat. And I think, so here's, obviously, this is probably something we should have set up uh, up the top here. When you're playing the game and when you're using stuff like madness mechanics, it is worthwhile just being careful about depiction of mental illness. Mm, because absolutely. there is a huge stigma around psychosis and around mental illness in general. And if your players don't understand that, then I would be sticking to simpler things that are harder to make into a, a caricature. Yeah. Because Honestly, if 
if you were dealing with a party that I thought you don't know would handle it well, I would probably do away with the madness mechanics entirely mm. because I wouldn't want a session to just devolve into five people sitting around a table making fun of mentally ill people, you know? Yeah. Um, and because I think there's, there's a way more interesting way to do it, but you have to be more careful about it. You have to realize that they've tried to make this like caricature of it in the, in fifth edition, I assume to avoid that exact issue. Yeah, I think the I think the whole thing is to avoid it being uh, a caricature of mental illness. But I think what it ends up doing is being a misunderstanding of madness. Yeah, and it just becomes it just feels like something that was thrown in as just another status effect, which uh, because it had to be on the list because it's on the list of status effects, and it doesn't feel like they actually wanted to like do a lot of interesting or yeah. So we, I don't know, this is probably something we'll talk about and see, decide if we want to make some things later, but it's something we'll probably have to talk over because it is, well, if you see, if you follow our socials, you may or may not see some uh, changes to the madness table there, um, but I'm not going to promise it because I can't promise that we'll be able to handle it appropriately. Yeah, we've got to... It would be a nice thing to do, but we've got to make sure that we do it well. And neither, and none of us on this podcast are like psychological experts. So mm. if we found that it became too big of a task, too difficult of a task to handle like in, a, in an appropriate way, then we'd have, just have to leave it to someone who was more qualified. Yep, exactly. And with that, uh, usually at this point in a regular episode, we'd be taking you to a short break and then we'd uh, run you through an example that we've built of in-world examples. But I think a lot of what we've been doing today is, has run through that. We've talked about what it would be. Yeah, that's kind of been the thing the whole time. Hold on, hold on. Let me think of a quest right off the top of my head. Um, fuck. Okay, so your party shows up in a town that's main export is... Raw magic. I was going to say hunting dogs. <laughs> uh, magically infused hunting dogs. Okay, oh, yeah. cool. So your character comes into a town that's main export is this breed of magically infused hunting dogs that are turning into, at night, I don't know, uh, giant squid. And and everyone's like, hey, what the fuck's all the giant squid doing around? That's pretty weird. I'm like, we can't do anything. And they're not cause, dangerous because they're not moving around. Yeah, they're squid. Like, what are they going to do? All they're doing is not breathing until suddenly they're dogs again. So it's like, no one's... But everyone <laughs> wants to know why. And I don't know. I'm maybe just imagining it a- runs by polymorph rules where when it reaches zero hit points, it turns back into a dog. <laughs> and so, like, <laughs> so the dog turns into a squid asphyxiates, turns back into a dog, turns back into a squid, asphyxiates, turns back into a dog, and just repeat ad nauseum until the sun comes up. Yeah, and I don't know, it's because the all-father got his hands on a wish scroll and was like, hey, magic seems fucking weird. (laughs) (laughs) And then just did it. And I don't know, kill God now, I guess. Save the squids. That's the quest. There you go. That's the quest. <laughs> good quest. Good quest. Oh, 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 if your party wins, then they get the ability to turn into squids, but not in the water. But only on dry land. Only on land. <laughs> and not big squids either, just little ones. Uh, well, if, if you're a druid, you can turn into a giant squid. Okay, if you're a druid, you can turn into a giant squid. That's fair. But the rest of you just turn into regular squid. <laughs> the druid has to like pick you up and put you around everywhere. <laughs> 
Anyway, thank you for listening to this uh, wild episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. Oh, shit. Hold on. B- uh, one more thing. The first person that uses the squid power can only turn back if they use a wish, pe- if they use a wish spell again. So they're just a squid now. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been another episode of Dungeon Deep Dive. Um, this has been uh, our first Gripes episode. It will definitely not be our last because this has been a lot of fun. Oh, boy. And I have some other complaints. Oh, I mean, we we have long chat chains of, of gripes that we've had. So this will be an ongoing thing. We'll do a couple of revisits, a couple of... Um, like a couple of new new things. There's one that we were going to tackle today that we're going to try and do as a later episode. To tease it, it's going to be some roleplay gripes because the roleplay rules in D&D are kind of weak. So if you have anything that you would like to complain about, um, please feel free to get in contact on the socials uh, at Dungeon Deep Dive on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at deepdivetnc at gmail.com. And if you don't, I'll... I mean, I'll just cry until you do. Oh, I've got something important to say, actually. So, if you've made it so far, if you've made it all the way to what I'm assuming is about the hour and five minute mark... Which means, is baffling. It means you're a very dedicated listener. <laughs> and what that means is I would love to ask just one more favour of you. Right now, the Dungeons & Dragons 2019 survey is out. And what that means is they're, do- they're gathering a whole bunch of research about what they want to do with the game in the next year. Part of that is it asks you what kind of media you listen to or watch um, that is to do with Dungeons & Dragons. I would love it. I would absolutely be indebted to you if every one of you who listens goes and answers that and clicks other and types Dungeon Deep Dive or Dungeon Deep Dive Podcast into that field so that wizards can see what we're doing to their poor darling game and sue us. Honestly, I would love that. Or sponsor us, either way. But like, I got nothing going on. I'd love to be sued by the wizards, folks. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, if you if you could, in all seriousness, if you could put Dungeon Deep Dive in there, I don't know what the results would be. But how cool would it be if a little Australian podcast that talks about world building got noticed by Wizards of the Coast? That would be fun. Yeah, you know what? I, I wasn't going to back the request, but I do. I back it. I like it. I yeah. like that. I would really enjoy that. Anyway, with that, uh, from the bottom of, of my heart and from the bottom of Lachlan's heart, voluntarily or not, mm. thank you for listening. Catch you next week. Goodbye. science, humanity spent millennia upon millennia seeking answers to their questions through bizarre and occult methods that left them in the dark as ever. Now in this golden age of knowledge, people no longer have to look at frankly incomprehensible omens, but rather make rational decisions based on peer review research and the scientific method. That being said, large swathes of people aren't doing that anymore. And here at Imogen Harrison Predict the Future, we've decided to lean in. People just like you email in questions like, should I break up with my loving partner? Should I make a major career change? I feel like I can constantly hear a heartbeat underneath my floorboards. What's up with that? And comedian Imogen. And writer Harrison. We'll look at some tea leaves or the moon or whatever and we'll tell you what to do. And you'll do it. Without question. Imogen and Harrison predict the future. We We have have a vision. vision. You'll You'll love love it. it. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.